Father, I just, uh, we ask you that you would just bless our time. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here and among us. And, um, you know, we're going to be talking about you this morning. And so may you just give us greater insight into who you are and how you operate. Just so very important um, that we understand uh, what you're doing and how you're working in our hearts and in our lives and then how you're working around us. And uh, we want to have more knowledge about that, more experience about it. And we pray that you deepen our level of, of understanding so we could walk in faith in a more effective way. So I thank you that you're going to speak to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read this to you here. This was pretty good. Um, it says, an old geezer... This has nothing to do with the message, but this is good. An old geezer uh, who had been a retired farmer for a long time became very bored and decided to open a medical clinic. He put a sign up outside that said, Dr. Geezer's Clinic, get your treatment for 500 bucks. If not cured, get back 1000 So Dr. Young, who was positive that this old geezer didn't know beans about medicine, thought this would be a great opportunity to get $1,000. So he went to Dr. Geezer's Clinic. This is what transpired. So it's Dr. Young. Dr. Geezer, I've lost all the taste in my mouth. Can you please help me? So Dr. Caesar says, Dr. Geezer says, Nurse, please bring medicine from box 22 and put three drops in Dr. Young's mouth. Dr. Young goes, Ah, this is gasoline. Dr. Geezer says, Congratulations, you've got your taste back. That will be $500. <laughs> so Dr. Young gets annoyed and goes back after a couple of days figuring to recover his money. Dr. Young, I've lost my memory. I cannot remember anything. Dr. Geezer, nurse, please bring medicine from box 22 and put three drops in the patient's mouth. Dr. Young, oh, no, you don't. That's gasoline. Dr. Geezer says, congratulations, you've got your memory back. That'll be $500. (laughs) So Dr. Young, after having lost $1,000, leaves angrily and comes back after several more days. Dr. Young, my eyesight has become weak. I can hardly see. Dr. Geezer, well, I don't have any medicine for that, so... Here's your $1,000 back. Dr. Young, but this is only $500. Dr. Geezers, congratulations, you got your vision back. That will be $500. (laughs) That is awesome. That is awesome. (laughs) Oh, I love that good stuff. So um, I come across a lot of that. So I got to read more of that stuff. It's just good. And if you come across good stuff, like send it to me, you know, so we can like enjoy it together. Sound good? All right. So John 14. So here's what we're talking about today. And before we read it, it's really important because, um, you know, a lot of people get an idea about who God is and how he operates and what he's like. Usually they get that idea from somebody they've known in their life um, that, like, matters, that carries a lot of influence in their life. And that carries with it um, some problems. So one obvious problem is that if someone has been in relationship with, you know, maybe a father or, like, an uncle or a meaningful mentor, and they did, like, a really bad job looking out for them, if they took advantage of, like, vulnerabilities, um, if they weren't trustworthy, if um, they created a scenario where the other person was being attacked, like, when somebody comes to know God, there is a strong chance or strong likelihood that they could put that kind of on God. 
and see kind of God through that lens. Or it could also go the other way, or maybe somebody has had like maybe a good role model, mentor, father type figure, and they've done a fairly decent job. Um, And that helps a little bit, but that still is not really the best way to see God. I mean, the best way to see God, know who he is, how he operates, is from God himself. Like, that's the absolute best way to know who God is. The best. And the awesome thing is, is that God has set up that very situation for us. We can know exactly who God is, how he thinks, and how he wants that to filter through our lives by him giving a piece of himself to us to live inside of us. See, so many people are so familiar with doing, 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 doing things for God. I have to memorize some Bible verses, or I have to go serve at the church on this particular day, or um, we're going to go do this particular program. Uh, I have to try and do this, do this, do this. And the temptation is to get caught up in kind of like a rewards-type system where we do a lot of things, but we miss like a huge part of doing those things, which is God himself that promises to empower us while we do it. Some of the best news in the world is that when Jesus left, he didn't just kind of just leave us to ourselves and our own devices, personality traits, or talents. Isn't that really good news? I'm not just left to Jared's own abilities. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Especially considering of what you're asking. Because he's asking quite a bit. So we're going to take a look at some of that today, and I'm hoping by the end of the message, you're going to filled with, be filled with great hope, and then we're going to pray at the end of the message um, that God would do something pretty special as well. So you good? All right, so let's check it out. So John chapter 14. <coughs> Excuse me. And I know Keith shared last week about peace, kind of the end part of it, and uh, you guys get blessed by him last week? One person definitely did. That's a win. Hashtag winning. All right. So we pick up mid-conversation, mid-stream, where they're kind of getting stressed out and anxious because Jesus is about to go. So he just washes their feet. Judas just betrays them and walks out of dinner. And then Jesus just drops a bomb on them saying, yep, and now I'm going too, and where I'm going, you can't follow me. And so now they're scrambling. What do you mean? Like, we've been with you. What happened over here? He just betrayed you? Like, how did that happen? Wait, where did you say you're going? And then we can't follow you? I don't understand. So it's a strange situation, right? They're, they're kind of anxious. And the way Jesus starts off chapter 14, he goes, do not let your hearts be troubled. And we talked that week about, oh man, that's a lot easier said than done. And we talked about worry and anxiety and stress and all that stuff. So we pick up in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So how do we know if we love Jesus? We keep his commandments, right? And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper or an advocate that he may abide with you forever. So how long is this helper he's going to send be with us for? 
forever. So he's known as a helper. Then in verse 17, he's known as the spirit of truth. So he's got two names there. So we have this advocate, this helper that's going to come with us. And he's also known as the spirit of truth that's going to live with us. And it says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now, it's interesting, as we read it, it refers to this advocate and helper and spirit of truth as a him. Right? Capital H, you see that? So this is a person we're talking about. This is a person of God. So the world can't receive him because neither sees him nor knows him. It says, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So he repeats that phrase again, right? It's kind of important to keep his commandments. That's how we show that God matters to us. That's how we are able to respond back in love to him is by keeping his commandments. But what commandments and all that stuff we'll talk about. And it says, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will show myself to him or her that keeps his commandments. You're going to see him. He promises to manifest himself to that. And we'll talk more about that word in a minute. So it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He kind of says that a lot, huh? should probably pay attention to that one. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. That's a great picture, isn't it? Whoever surrenders and responds to him, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they promise to come in and like make a home there and make them part of the family. Verse 24, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things... And bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And then it goes further on with, with, with uh, Keith covered last week. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So Jesus saying, it's time to go. Rule of this world is coming. I got some other stuff to share, and he shares some more after that. So a big part of what we just read A big part of what we just read is that Jesus is leaving. They're anxious, they're worried, and they're unsettled about it. 
And Jesus' response to them is, in the first part of 14, is like, hey, listen, I'm going away. And where I'm going, it's going to be good. I'm preparing a place for you. You will be with you. Hey, listen, when you get there, it'll be just beautiful. Me and my father preparing mansions with rooms in it. You will be good. We will take care of you. And then to follow that up, he says, and until you get there, that gap where you live your life, until you get there, he says, that gap, I'm going to send a helper, an advocate, a spirit of truth that's going to stay with you. And what's that spirit of truth going to do? He's going to teach you. And he's going to bring to remembrance everything that I have said and done. And so the major emphasis about what we just read is that God himself is sending a piece of himself, part of the Trinity, which is hard to, difficult to understand. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all one, but they're all distinct, but one at the same time. It's, it's interesting. It, it's hard to describe. But the Holy Spirit, he is promising to send, and he won't be able to send it unless he goes. So, this poses some questions then. Number one, what's the deal with the Holy Spirit? What's the deal with him in my life? Um, Do I really need him? How would I even know if I needed him? Uh, Was he there in the Old Testament? What's going on here? So we're going to answer some of that, and we're going to get into some other things. So, let me just give you a couple of notes here. Um, First question is this. Why is there even a need for a helper, advocate, or as the Bible has it in Greek, parakletos? Ever say parakletos? Parakletos. So why a need for a parakletos? What's the need for it? Because if it was in the Old Testament, then how would it be different now? Because if the Holy Spirit is always around before, you know, what's the need? So that's a good question to ask. Well, he was in the Holy Spirit. By he, I mean Holy Spirit. He definitely was there. And you can read some of these passages later this week. But he was with Joshua in Numbers 27. So if you want to read that later this week, Numbers 27, 18. He was with uh, a guy named Joshua who took over after... Anybody? 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 Moses, right? So Joshua took over after Moses, and it says the Spirit of God rested upon him. So Holy Spirit was there. Um, Holy Spirit was with David. Remember King David? Most people remember King David. As you've heard that name, right? King David, 1 Samuel 16. They anointed him, put oil on him, anointed him right there in the living room in front of his brothers and family. And it says the Spirit of God rested upon him there. Saul, before King David, it's even mentioned that he had the Spirit of God on him. And another interesting example, there's more, but one other one is this guy named Bezalel. And you probably don't remember that guy. But he's in Exodus. And it's interesting about that guy is that this is Exodus 36 for Bezalel. Everybody say Bezalel. Bezalel says the Spirit of God rested on him, was upon him, so that he could do amazing artwork for the tabernacle. That's cool stuff. God just empowers in amazing ways. So this man was specially gifted by the Spirit of God to help create an art that was reflecting the type of kingdom culture that he wanted represented in the tabernacle. It's cool stuff. Spirit works in amazing ways. 
So the Holy Spirit is always there, always moving, had its ways. Even in Genesis, there's references to the Holy Spirit. But one thing, in addition to those reasons, you know, being there, that, that's one reason, you know, we need a helper is because they had it back then. Um, we also need a helper because God says he's going to provide one in the Old Testament. And so you can check out some places later this week if you want. Places where he said he was going to provide this advocate, helper, Holy Spirit, because it never came, because Jesus came. So you just had to leave for it to come. So in Joel 2 and Ezekiel 36, God says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit. No longer am I going to interact with man through like a mediator. I'm going to write my spirit upon their hearts. I'm going to give them a brand new heart. Take out a heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. They will know my word and my thoughts because I'm going to put myself in them. So God said he was going to do it. So we need a helper because... It was already in the Old Testament. It's not like he was never around. And so he was there in the Old Testament. And we need it because God said that he's going to provide it. And the very last, most important reason, and this is a big one. This is the one that a lot of people miss. And it takes some time to figure out. The most important reason we need an advocate and a helper is because, drumroll, yeah, because God is calling us to live a life that is impossible on our own. He is calling us to live a life that is impossible to carry out in our own strength. That's encouraging, huh? (laughs) People are like, oh, that's great. That makes me feel good. There's hope, I promise. But that's the reality. He's calling Jared to live a life that's so far beyond Jared. He's calling Tabitha to live a life that's so far beyond Tabitha. So far beyond Christine. So much bigger, carries so much more influence, more than we can think or imagine. And if you're not quite convinced yet, let me just give you some things we're called to do, where he's calling this new life out of a Christian. It might feel heavy for a minute, but just bear with me, and I promise the good news is coming. This is the gospel, the good news, right? Okay. So we're called to live an impossible life. Here's some of the things that Jesus said. Remember Jesus said, like, if if you keep my commands, you love me? Like, what are those commands? What was he saying? Here's, Here's some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, The whole point of the whole Sermon on the Mount was being pure in heart. Not harboring anger against somebody else. Not lusting after another person as they go by. Not trying to create an outward show to make people think we're something more than what we really are. We could just stop right there. That's a ton of work to try and get that. Just those three things worked out. And God is calling and saying, man, that you should have complete purity in heart. Completely sanctified for my sake. Where you don't even struggle with that anymore. That's what we're called to be. So right away, it's like, who can do that? Right? That's, that's what I'm saying. We're called to an impossible life. So that's just one, purity in heart. Here's another one. We're called to repent 
and be baptized. That was John the Baptist. That was Jesus' message. Now, some of us can feel a little bit better. Be like, oh yeah, I could do that. You know, like I can get baptized. That's like a tangible thing we can do. Repentance, on the other hand, you know, that's, that's a little bit more difficult, but we're called to do it. Living a lifestyle of repentance. Not just, that's not just one thing where it's like, God, I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me? Thank you to do. That's like a lifestyle. Because God continues to show us things that really shouldn't be there, that he's working out. He is working out. And we're just called to come in agreement and say, God, yeah, I see that now. And that is ugly. Thank you that you're taking it away. I agree with what you're doing. How am I supposed to play a role in you taking this stuff that will hurt me out of my life? That's, that's what repentance is. And then you say, I don't want to go back there to that. So we have purity in heart, repent to be baptized, forgiving endlessly. Remember that whole seven, 70 times 7 talk? That's supposed to be like a, like a cornerstone of our life. We are, we are, Christians are supposed to be known as like the ultimate forgivers. That we don't hold grudges. We don't even know what that word even means anymore because we've been so changed. Uh-huh. God, later on, he says, give me all of yourself. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who can do that? Who has time for that? But he's saying that's what a Christian does. That's what I'm saying. We're called to this life that's like impossible. How can, we get, how can you do this on your own? Loving one another before ourselves, washing other people's feet, putting death to sin in our lives. And then John 14, which we read in this chapter earlier on, Jesus said, you're going to do the works that I have done, and you're going to do even more than that. That's what he said to the Christians, to those that were with him. It's like, holy. I think most of the times you read the Gospels and like, well, that's Jesus. You know, I mean, you know, yes, he could do that. It's not an issue for him to heal a guy with mud and to give him sight. But God is saying, well, listen, I'm calling you to the same thing. You're calling to move in the same way with the same type of power. In fact, you're going to find you're going to exceed that. So when I'm saying God is calling us to an impossible life, he's calling us to an impossible life. One we're not familiar with that we don't know about. Creating something completely brand new. So we need, everybody say we need. We need need that helper, advocate, spirit of truth. We are desperate for it. We are desperate for it. So, that's not supposed to feel really heavy. It's supposed to be encouraging to the fact that that's what we're called to. Sometimes when I think about that list and I think about all the stuff that God and Jesus are saying, it's like, man, you know, it's just, this is, this is hard. In fact, uh, I was talking with Jamie, like earlier this week, we were talking about different things, and it's, it's, this won't be bad, I promise. She's like, oh, shoot, what did I tell him? What's he going to say? But we were just talking in general about how just when you become a Christian, your mind just starts to just change and where things you used to be able to do and just, just never think about. It's just easy. You just could do whatever you want whenever you wanted. And then it's like when God moves in, all of a sudden you're just thinking about a lot of things you just normally do and they just, there's something about it that bothers you. 
And that God's bringing it to your attention. It's not quite so easy to do those things anymore. And a lot of times, when people give their lives over to Christ, it's like, this thing is so much more work. I don't even... This is exhausting. We're just analyzing everything. Can we just do something, you know? And so how does that work? It reminds me of like, you know, so many times in my life where you just reach a point where you're just ready to tap out. Just, just say, I've exhausted all of my resources, all of my abilities. There's literally nothing I can come up with now in any way to help contribute to this problem or situation. Maybe you've been there once, twice, a hundred times in your life. And we'll probably be there more because that's where God wants us. That's where he likes to work. It makes me remember, like, I used to, um, you know, before kids, before being married, when there was time in life to do a lot of working out, um, there's always, like, some time you can make it to work out, kind of stay in shape and do stuff, but, you know, life just changes. I mean, when you're single, you know, no kids, you're in school, you, you can maybe commit to four or five days a week, and lots of, you know, frequency of workouts, high intensity of workouts, and you know, pumping stuff out and getting it done. And then, like, life changes and you got kids' responsibilities. It's like, man, if we can get to 15 push-ups today and, like, 15 set-ups, that's the win. You know, life, life just changes. And so I remember being in the basement by myself and uh, working out, and I was just feeling strong. You just have some days you're just feeling strong. You know, just feeling strong in the basement, Got the music blasting, Christian music blasting in the basement. And, um, and, and that's, like, interesting, too. It's, it's amazing how God like, just changes things. I remember we used to be, like, working out to, like, all this completely non-Christian stuff, but it was, like, hype music, you know. And, was, and it just changed to where, like, I get hype when I'm hearing about what God has done in my life, what he's doing right now, and I want more. Like, my workout music changed. You know, it's just amazing how stuff changes. So I'm down there, lifting, working out, doing it. And I happen to be on the bench press. And uh, I'm like, you know what? Bless you. I'm like, you know what? A few more, few more plates, they can definitely go on here. And I can definitely do this. So you put the plates on. And uh, so I'm sitting down on the bench. And I lift it off. I'm like, wow, this is pretty heavy. Okay, but I got this. You know, it got off. So that's pretty good. And then it's coming down. And it feels like a Buick coming out of my chest. And I'm like, you know, so it's coming like, ah, you know, nobody's in the house, so I can yell now. Like, ah, you know, so it's coming down. And then, like, it comes down, and I go to push that thing up, and it gets up, like, three inches. I'm like, oh, my God, it's moving. This is good. And then it gets to that point where everything you thought you could do and all the yelling, because by this time, I'm, like, screaming. Ah, you know, just, like, yelling. I don't care how loud, how loud you are yelling at this point. It does not matter. It's not going anywhere. And then that realization sits in, and you're like, holy crap, I am done right now. Now nobody's here. I got no help. And this thing is so heavy. So then what you do is you do the lean and tilt. You got all the weight. Now you're in trouble if you do what you're supposed to do, and you're supposed to like cap the ends of the weight so they don't fall off. But I don't usually do what I'm supposed to do, so I didn't. This is one of the times where it paid off. So you do the lean and tilt. So you just like lean and all the plates go, do, 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 do. you know, they all fall on the floor. And then you tilt the other side, do, 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 do. you know, and then you get up and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not doing that again. 
But it's like so many times the Christian life can have that effect where God brings us to a place, to a place and he's stacking the plates on either end. And he's like, listen, I'm going to show you what you are physically able to handle, emotionally able to handle, financially able to handle, sexually able to handle. And he's piling those plates on. And then we're like, yeah, but we got this. And it's like, and then you just hit that point. And it's like, oh, wow, I really don't. And this is super, super heavy right now. And that is completely the job of the Holy Spirit and the advocate to then come on in and just take a look and say, yes, absolutely, we got this. And then our spotter comes in and helps us get that thing up. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth. God, what he likes to do is completely bring us to the end of ourselves. Because he knows that we are built and capable for so much more. Not in our own strength. But so that we can see what we can do in his strength. So glory will be brought to him. So then we have verses like, I must decrease so he must increase. That's what that's all about. So then we say, thank you, Lord, for Holy Spirit. Thank you. So, question number one is, you know, what do we need it for? Well, I showed you reasons. It was around in the Old Testament. He was always there. God promised for him to come. But, man, he's calling us to live life that's impossible, where God will push us to our breaking point, and we need a helper for that. So just a quick, some other quick questions, which we'll address quickly. How does it work? How did it work when the Holy Spirit showed up? Good question. I'm glad that you asked. Jesus had to leave in order for him to show up. That's why he said, listen, I got to go. So that way the comforter, the, another name for him. So we got a few names, right? The comforter, the advocate, the spirit of truth. Other versions, the intercessor. He's just looking, man, to come alongside, help pick us up and bring us in to where God wants us to be. <coughs> so after Jesus left, 30, 40, 50 days, they're in a prayer meeting. Boom! The Pentecost comes. That's when the Holy Spirit drops in. And that's when the Holy Spirit came and stayed. And where we now have access to him. And a believer, when they commit their lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit then comes and resides inside of a person. So the Holy Spirit is like around everywhere. But it also, he, he, not it, right? He resides in a person's life, in our lives, in our hearts. And the verses to support that are like what Jesus just said in John 14, 17. He says he will be with you and he will be in you. And later in Ephesians, it talks about how God himself puts a deposit into humans. So that way, when we get to heaven, he cashes out. The deposit that he puts in is his Holy Spirit, which he deposits into every believer. So that's how it works. Now, what's he doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing inside the believer, around the believer? Good question. I'm glad you asked. The Holy Spirit is doing this. 
he is giving us the mind of Christ, Christ's mind, the spirit of truth. He is giving us that mind, and he's transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's giving us the mind of Christ, as talked about in 1 Corinthians. And he's transforming us into the image of who Jesus is, giving us likeness of Jesus Christ, like it talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. This is what he's doing. This is a big job. And somehow the Holy Spirit of God is doing that, not just for Jared here in Nautilus, Connecticut, not just you know for Sal here in Watertown, He's doing that globally for every person, all the time, always. How does that work? I don't even know. I'm glad that he is God. That's incredible. It's an amazing thing. So how does it work? Came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes. A believer receives it. He comes and lives in his life. What's he doing? He's transforming me. He's giving me the mind of Christ. Everything that I once knew, he's making new again, brand new. So new, it's from heaven new. That it's the spirit of truth, so only truth will reside in the mind and in the heart. It's cool stuff. Another good question. Can we, as human beings, slow the process of a renewed mind and being transformed into Jesus? Can we slow God down? question. I'm glad you asked. The answer is yes, we can. That's one we got to pay attention to, and like that should be sobering. We can. God is able to do whatever He wants to do, however He wants to do it, whenever He wants to do it, for whatever reason. He has chosen for us to be willing parties in the process. Everybody say, willing party. That's kind of the key idea. I could force Jaron and Judson to get just about most things done. Some people could see that as a huge success to just be able to force, 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 jam something down their throat and steamroll them until they do it. Hey, at least they got it done. I can get people to get things done. I think we all know down the road, that will lead to huge amounts of bitterness, resentment, total backlash, and probably a total 180. It will bear no fruit, right? So maybe it worked in the moment. It's not going to be long-lasting. The Holy Spirit and God has chosen to work the same way. So God will tell us, hey, listen, this area of your life this is really not what I have for you. This is not the best. And then we're put in a situation where we could be a willing party, go along with it, or we can kind of fight and compromise and delay and procrastinate and then kind of see what God the Father, where he might take us. We're a very, very important part of the process. God, for his reasons alone, has given us a power of choice that does matter. He is still going to accomplish things that we won't understand, regardless if he gets our cooperation. He will still accomplish things. 
But we can definitely come alongside and come in agreement and move at a much quicker and faster rate. Does that make sense? It wasn't God's original plan to have Moses and the Israelites walk around the desert for 40 years and enter the promised land. That was not his original plan. That became the plan because he presented an opportunity where he said, hey, listen, you guys are ready to march in. It was really only like an 11-day thing. They were out there a little bit longer than that. And then after a period of time, God said, hey, I'm giving this to you guys. Why don't you go check it out? Come on back. You know, you guys can report, but I'm giving this to you. So they go out. What was it? Eight, ten spies? I forget what it was. Ten spies. They go out there. They check out 12. There you go. Off on both. Oh, for two. So then they go out there, and they see it, and then they come back and report, and they're like, no, maybe you thought God said that, but let me tell you what I saw. Anybody know that language? Yeah. Yeah, we know. It's really dangerous. That can really slow a process down of what God is trying to do. So, they're like, yeah, let me tell you what I saw. They have giants, unbelievable in that land. They will wipe us out. They're more numerous than we are. So they're bigger, and there's more of them. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this is not ours. Maybe we didn't quite hear God clearly on this one. And God says, no, I've, I've given this to you. And only two out of the 12, I got that one right, only two out of the 12, Caleb and a guy named Joshua, which we talked about, they're like, no, what are you guys saying? So two out of ten. It's not good odds. One-fifth, 20%. 80% saying totally the opposite. 20%. No, God said he's going to give it to us. And you can see the 80%. Really? How's he going to do it? How's he going to take them out? It makes no sense. They're bigger. They're smaller. And I'm sure that 20%, Caleb and Joshua, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know what he said. And sometimes that's all we're left with. Huge mark of the Christian faith. And you want to know how God responded to that? He didn't force them into it. He said, well, listen, this is something you guys definitely do not want to do. So then I guess what we'll do is we're going to walk around in the desert for 40 years until that generation dies off, and then we're going to go in. So 40 years wasn't part of the plan. It ended up being the plan, but it didn't have to be. And the interesting thing is that God, you know, you're like, God is amazing. Even though they were still in that desert, he still provided them with manna, miracle bread from heaven every morning. He provided them with meat. He revealed himself in miraculous ways to that community. I would think that maybe some of us, if we were in God's position, and man, we just had something laid out awesome for them, and if they just walked into it, man, they would experience something amazing. And then they just fought back, said no. I would think some of us would be like, you know what? That's just your problem. You made your bed, you lie in it. That 40 years, it's going to suck, but that's your problem. I could see a lot of people kind of having that approach. And God is like, man, they just don't see it. They don't understand. I'm still going to love them and reveal myself to them even in that 40 years. God is good, huh? Still good. He's a good father. So can we slow the process? Yeah, we can. I think we should be really aware of that. It's important to know. So here's the last question. 
So ones we talked about. How does it work? What is he doing? Can we slow the process? Here's the last one here. How does he teach us? How does the Holy Spirit teach us? Because that's what he said in John 14. What was it, 17 there? Let's take a look at it. Uh, it's later on. It's not 17. Somebody yell it out if you find me. Find it first. There we go. Verse 26. It says, But the Counselor... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything. He's going to teach you. So who's the best teacher? It's definitely not me. And I don't pretend to be that. I want you to know that full... uh, Some of you are like, that's obvious. Yes, but just to be clear, I'm definitely not the best teacher. And some other pastor that's way more gifted than I am, he's not the best teacher. And the guy that's way more gifted than him, he's not. The best teacher for you for your heart and for your life is the Holy Spirit. Please hear that. Please hear that. This, what we do, what any church does, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, any Bible study, that's a supplement to be used to help enhance what the Holy Spirit is already trying to teach us on our own. And unfortunately, Fortunately, many of us, many Christians can get locked into, well, what did the pastor say? What did the Bible study reader say? What did so-and-so say? And it's like, that is now the definitive only voice from God. Where the skill that we should have is, I know what the Holy Spirit's saying to me. What are these other people saying, and how is that matching up with the Holy Spirit saying in my life and in my heart? That's what we're called to be. So how does he teach us? (laughs) This is not, you know, so I was just praying about this all week. I was like, Holy Spirit, like how have you taught me in my life? How do you you teach me that? How do you show me that? How do I know like it's from you and it's not just bad pizza I ate or something? Like how do I know? To be totally honest with you, it's something that's really learned over time. It's not a crappy answer. And I'm really sorry that is the answer. But that's the, the truth. His voice just seems really loud sometimes. And his voice is like really soft and quiet sometimes. And he's calling us to be in that relationship. That's why it's so important sometimes to just shut down all distractions, all things. And have a quiet time with him. We're like, you know, our phones are far away. The computers are off. The kids are like down in bed. And it's just totally quiet. You just pull off off the side of the road for 20 minutes, shut everything off, and it's just quiet. Because if you're speaking quietly in that moment, let's not miss it. So how does he teach us? I don't know. We learn it over time. And honestly, the Holy Spirit, he can use anything and any person. Through the Bible, God has spoken through, he's spoken through a donkey, He's spoken through kings and leaders that were not at all Christians and that knew him. Um, he, he speaks through anything and anybody. Sometimes that's really frustrating, you know, um, especially when somebody's reading our mail, calls something right on the head in our lives, and they have no relationship with God at all, with God at all. Hopefully we're humble enough to receive that. Be like, man, like, obviously you don't know who God is, but you are right on the money with what you just said about me. 
hopefully we're into a lifestyle like that because that's what we're called to. So he does teach us over time. We've got to learn to know his voice. He will use anything. He will especially use his word. That's why knowing his word is so important. So if you could do this when you're, uh, for those taking notes, just write down this. I want to put them both in, but I forgot. So write down the word. We do it like bullet pointed. So first word, just write down listening. And then underneath that, write down convictions. Underneath that, write down obedience. And underneath that, write down fillings. And we close with this. This is it. So first one was listening. Underneath that, convictions. Underneath that, obedience. Underneath that, fillings. This is all to help us help get, gain a little bit of clarification about how he speaks to us. So listening, then to the right of that. Listening so we can remember. That's how he teaches us. He teaches us by us being in a position where we can listen, where we're listening, so that we can remember who he is, what he's saying, what we've read, what we've heard at church, what somebody sent us like a text message about. That's a big part of the Holy Spirit speaking and teaching us. A big part of it is listening. And we listen so that we can remember who he is, what he's done, and what he's saying. Because Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would do that. He would teach us. He would show us to remember. But many times, we got to stop talking and be quiet and just shut it down so we can hear what he's even saying, what he's speaking to us. We've got to just shut it down so we could just be listening. And as we're listening, so many times... I've just been quiet with the Lord and I can just remember things that I've forgotten throughout the day that are really significant. But I'm like, oh yeah, Lord, like, Holy Spirit, like you were in that and that, that was significant. And maybe I'll write it down like on a napkin or I'll put it in my phone or like I'll shoot a text message to somebody or it'll end up somewhere because there's something interesting as I sit back and then I listen, there's like all these nuggets like where God has hidden throughout the day and my days, I'm sure like your days, they're insane and they're busy and they're filled with screaming kids and dirty diapers and kids lying to me all day about their homework and all kinds of stuff. Like, you just miss stuff. And then just, like, listen, you just remember. Oh, yeah, Lord, you were in that spot. Oh, I remember that part of that prayer that was like, that was a good part of the prayer. I need to think about that more. Like, this is the way the Holy Spirit works and teaches us things. So listening. Here's the next one. Very important. Convictions, to the right of that, so we grow. This is another way the Holy Spirit teaches us. So He teaches us in listening. He teaches us in convictions. Where He makes us aware of places in our lives that He needs to deal with. This is where Satan, the enemy, can have a field day. He can especially have a field day with type A perfectionist type people. Because the Holy Spirit shows us things in our heart and in our life that like, we have to do away with that won't be good, that getting away from the transformation process. He shows us that. Sometimes the type A perfectionist person would be like, oh my gosh, i got to get rid of that right away. And they do everything they can you know, try and knock that thing out. Actually, they're probably also thinking before that, how could that even be there? I don't even understand. I tried my best. 
It should be there. I tried my best, and I don't. So what the enemy likes to do is likes to come in and be like, yeah, see, I guess, you know, you're not that serious of a Christian. You think you are, but you're probably not even saved, to be honest with you. Because if you were, you definitely wouldn't have done that. And if you're really a Christian, you would really do. You weren't really worthy of what God has done anyways. Like, you always screwed it up before. You're probably just going to screw it up again. And so convictions, borderline extreme guilt and condemnation. And it's very. if somebody were to ask you the question, what's the difference in your life when the Holy Spirit is speaking conviction and when the enemy is speaking guilt? I don't know how you'd answer that. But hopefully you want to work on getting an answer to that. Because it's very freeing once you get it. Because the enemy, the old flesh that God's trying to do away with, it knows a lot about guilt and shame and condemnation. It's just kind of keeping us in that place. But the Holy Spirit knows something about a conviction that says, I know you're doing this, but I've made you brand new. I've called you into a whole other area. Come see the value with me. Just take that step, and I promise I'll carry it. Isn't that so different? So different. That voice of conviction. It says, I've called you to so much more. Don't get lost in that. Your value is so much greater. Take that step of faith, and I promise I'll carry you there. So we need to know that, understand that, be around that. So how does he teach us? He teaches us through listening so that we can remember. Convictions. So we could grow. Obedience. So that we can love. Because what that Holy Spirit is going to do as he works through our life is he's going to fill us with an extreme amount of love for those in and around our lives. It's amazing how he does it. And for the most part, the love that people are receiving from us, they're going to like it. Sometimes they're not going to like it and they're going to say, like, that's not very loving. And, you know, that's kind of the part, there is a part of love that doesn't feel real good. It just doesn't feel that great. It doesn't even feel that great. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, listen, I know you're working hard in that area, but, man, you, you, like, you're still not there yet. But keep plugging along. I'm going to work with you. That doesn't feel real great. But sometimes the truth from heaven is good and needed, and we got to hear it. But a lot of times, the love that's working in our lives that we're receiving from heaven, because Jesus said, hey, listen, I give you a new command. The new command is, you love others as I have loved you. So we love out of that same love that God is filling us up with. And so Holy Spirit, man, will just, he will fill us with it. He's saying, man, just be obedient. Just go touch and invest into people in ways like you never have. You will experience a whole other life invest into people in ways like you never have. Invest into people that take you outside of your personality traits. Invest into your home and to your family in ways like you never have. Fight that urge to fight back and be right in the argument. Fight the urge to deliver that negative tone when you don't really need to do it. Fight that urge of making them remember the last time that they screwed it up. 
These are the things we're being called into. And this is the last one. Listening so we can remember, conviction so we grow, obedience so we can love, fillings, not like pumpkin filling or like, you know, apple pie filling, but fillings so we are empowered. Fillings so that we are empowered. Here's the biblical view on the Holy Spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit has come, a believer surrenders their life, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. The Bible really clearly shows that there are moments in life where the Holy Spirit comes on people stronger than other times to accomplish usually whatever God has asked them to do. He comes in where he just overwhelms people. And you've heard terms like baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are times like that where the Holy Spirit comes and overwhelms and touches people in a really significant way, unlike past ways, so they can carry out what God has asked them to do. Because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit did not empower us to live like everybody else. That's like current brand Christianity. Holy Spirit, empower me so that I can have the nice house, I can have like some margin in my finances, so that way I got some more free time, I don't feel so stressed out. That's not the deal. He did not empower us and is not empowering us so that we can live more comfortably like somebody else. He is empowering us so that the real redeemed version can shine brighter than ever. We are being empowered. Jared is being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that the redeemed version of Jared will shine and shine bright. Because, man, he's doing that transforming work to where I'm being made into the image of Jesus Christ. It's awesome. And it's even more awesome when we get to a place where we're like, you know what? There's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to come in agreement with what he's doing. So he's looking to overwhelm us and fill us and, man, carry us. He's going to do the heavy lifting. He's going to do the heavy lifting. He promises to do that for us. So when life is feeling like the barbell's coming down, it's like, ah, and we're yelling. That's when we know, man, we got to get alone with our Father. Stuff is feeling, it's squeezing. It's getting so heavy. This is not from you, Lord. This is not the way you operate. The helper, the counselor, the advocate, the spirit of truth, this is not how he operates. I know this. And that's when we get alone. We get alone in the closet. We pull over the car. We shut something down. Get alone with him. And then when we put into practice, where Jesus says, hey, come to me. Weary, birdie, heavy laden. Let's go. Come to me. So we're going to close, Eric, with that last Holy Spirit song. Because I think that's just applicable, right? That's applicable. We want the Holy Spirit here. We want our hearts and our homes. We definitely want the Holy Spirit in our church. Because I tell you what, I don't want to accomplish anything in this church apart from whatever he wants to do. Because then we're just like another good club. I don't want that. So Eric, we'll do that song and we're going to close in prayer. And that's it.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen. Of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord.
fear Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord